This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Telling Everybody Everything. Every year since I started talking about it, which was probably 15 years ago, People have asked to uh, find my information about potty training, early potty training, early elimination communication, as it's called, attachment parenting. And I don't understand why they can't find it. I speak about it, I think, too much. I put it on my socials. I've put it on the podcast. It's a chapter in my book, The Audacity, which you can get anywhere except America. People are asking, why can't you read The Audacity in America? Truth be told, the publishing deal was too low in America. Uh, They think that you just want your book to be available in America and they can just not pay you very much for that. And my publishers were like, it's not really worth it. Let's just not publish it there. And then down the road, if it's very successful in the UK and other countries, then you might get a better deal to publish it in America. That's how that works. But right now, no, it's not available in America. But what you can get, excitingly, is my short story which is like an essay, sort of abbreviated version of my book, The Audacity. It's called How to Accidentally Settle Down, parentheses, with your high school boyfriend. And it's kind of the most romantic parts of my book. And if you're in America, I do know that there are some like backdoor sellers who can get you The Audacity, even signed copies, and that's fine by me. Uh, But if you want and you are an Amazon Prime subscriber member you can listen to it for free i recorded it as an audiobook and it's also a book that you can read how to accidentally settle down with your high school boyfriend can you get that in the uk you cannot but you can get the audacity and read the long version we're more literate than americans anyway so that'll be good for you 2024, I felt like it would be a wonderful fresh start to put all my early potty training info here once again, all in one place. And what prompted that is one of my very good girlfriends, someone that I admire as a business person, as a mother, as a friend. Um, She posted her daughter's nursery schedule with like eating and pooing and weeing. And what they do in a nursery is they have to give you a diary of like, so-and-so did this today and they were upset at this time and then they had a lovely time doing that and they slept at this time. But then they also send you a log of when that child went to the toilet and what they ate and how much of it they ate at what time. All parents know this is very important information, especially with an infant or a toddler. Small children is, you know, they, it's all about when they poo and when they eat. And that's, you know, my husband and I, we used to send each other lovely romantic texts and now it's just literally pictures of shit in a potty. That's where we are now after five years of marriage. (gasps) What day? Oh my gosh. It's me and Bobby's five year sex anniversary (laughs) soon. I think it's January 7th or 8th. I think it was the evening of the 7th into the 8th. So probably really the 8th before we actually 
had full intercourse. Um, this is when I traveled back to Canada to film Who Do You Think You Are? And Bobby and I reconnected five years ago, next week. Uh, uh, was it a mistake? Listen, in another life, Violet and I are in New York City right now, living it up with three fewer dependents, but I love my family. Um, potty training goes like this. The nursery schedule had a log of nappy changes and it said 9 a.m. BM, which means bowel movement, and then like 10, 16 a.m. bowel movement, and then 11.30 a.m. another bowel movement, and then like 1 p.m. wet nappy, 3 p.m. wet nappy, and then home. But I thought three bowel movements in a day. So tell me this, if you are parents of children who wear nappies, when they're not potty trained, do they just sort of leak out poo randomly throughout the day because I didn't even know this none of my children and yeah I'm an asshole I'm really smug none of them have pooed in a nappy beyond six months of age like ever like not even once yes Fred shat on the floor at Heathrow Customs one time but that was a political protest I feel about I don't know like displaced refugees I don't know what it was you'll have to ask him when he becomes more articulate but I didn't know this and it really, and I'm not judging this mother. I know that this child goes to daycare and daycare workers, what are they supposed to do? Just like stare every infant in the face all day and anticipate when they need the toilet. That's very difficult. Though I was thinking earlier today, you know what, daycare could, nurseries could implement this if it were also happening at home. And if children were potty trained at home, they all would have had a shit before nursery because they all go right in the morning. Like, okay, so here's how I do it. I put them on the potty pretty much from the moment they're born. Not a new, you know, a newborn is still scrunched up. You can't sit them on the potty. But from about the time that they can listen to a story or look at a book, I just put them on the potty randomly throughout the day and I read them a story and they have this instinct to go. There was a celebrity recently in America who spoke about this and it really has brought elimination communication to the forefront of cultural uh, discourse again. And I'm really excited about that. I've been talking about it for ages. It happens all over the world, just not in Western culture. We are the ones, we are the only ones who train our babies to go in a nappy. And again, no judgment. It's all about capitalism and getting you back to work. And it's not your fault. This is, you know, this is a big system that's bigger than you. And if you put your baby on a potty, your grandma's probably gonna be like, why are you doing that? I've had grandparents scold me before. Not my grandparents. They all died doing what they loved, drinking. But um, other grandparents have been like, uh, doesn't she think that's weird? I'm like, she's a baby. Everything's like, do you think she thinks a tree is weird and a bird is weird and like an iPad is weird? She's experiencing all of life for the first time. And if they happen to pee, which they usually do, then I go, oh, pee, 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 well done. And then I reward that behavior with some nappy free time. So yeah, in the early stages when my children are learning to walk, they do chuck a piss here and there on the ground and you have to be very careful that they don't slip in it. But they see themselves peeing and they learn like what peeing is. And that's fine with me because crucially what I'm not doing when I potty train my kids young is I am avoiding the stage where the rest of us in Western culture train them to go in their pants. When you put an appy on a child, it's not an absence of training. You are training them to pee in their nappy. That's what they learn. They go, okay, this is how I do it and poo and whatever. And then when they're about 18 months or however old people start normally training their kids around here, then you change it. And an 18 month old, if you have one, they're very headstrong. They go, what, what, what are you doing? No, I pee in my nappy. I sneak behind the couch and take a shit there in my nappy. What are you doing? 
So I just avoid that whole time. I always train them from birth that you're not in trouble if you don't pee in the potty. It's not like a punishment thing, but it's like whenever we can, this is where pee goes. And then it becomes really easy at six months. When you start to wean them and give them solid food, then they make a face when they need a poo because it's no longer like breast milk poo that just sort of goes everywhere. It's like a solid-ish poo. So they make like a... And that's when you go, oh, do you need the potty? And you whip their nappy off as quick as you can. You put them on the potty and they will always poo on the potty. And if you think of like, how easy would it be to shit in a chair versus sat on the toilet where there's like a place for the poo to go, it is much easier to go on the toilet. So you just put them on the toilet. And then when they go, you go, well done, oh, you have done a poo-poo. And then you let them play around and whatever. And so I've always done that with my kids. I kind of start around three or four months and then with poos, it basically works straight away. And then it becomes like a Pavlov's dog situation where when you put them on the potty, they go. And in the morning or after a nap are the easiest times to just like, oh, you're awake. Let's take your potty, your nappy off and sit down and read this book. And they always just go. And it's not that I would punish them if they didn't. It just works because it is ultimately more comfortable just to go on the potty. So... Fred and Fenna don't wear nappies anymore, except we do put nappies on them to sleep. That's kind of just part of pajamas. And often they wake up with a dry nappy, but I put nappies on them to sleep. And then Fenna still, because she just turned one last week, we put a nappy on her to go out in the world because it's a little bit, especially in winter, it would be very difficult if she wet her pants, but she would never poo in a nappy. Like sometimes she'll come home with a wet nappy, but most of the time it's dry. I take the potty with me in the boot of the car so that when we arrive somewhere, I always take both of them each one at a time out of their car seat and they sit on the potty in the boot and I go, do you need to pee before we go? Fred is perfect. Fred's like totally been potty trained since I don't even know when. And peas are the hardest one, but you, you just start and then they eventually get it. And people say, write a book about it, Catherine. There's really not much more I can say. There's no like reward or punishment or like rhyme or reason. It's just the crux of it is try to avoid training them to pee and poo in a nappy. If you can avoid that, and then catch whatever you can with the potty, then they will very happily just transition to a potty. And they do it all before they become toddlers who are stubborn, and that's key. So people reach out to me and they go, oh, well, how do I potty train my two-year-old? I can't help you with that. How do you make a two-year-old do anything? There are things that I didn't train Fred to do as an infant that is difficult to train him to do now. How do I train my two-year-old to transition easily from playing to sitting at the dinner table? I don't know without a fight. How do I transition my two-year-old from like being naked running around to putting his mitts and hat and coat and boots on to go outside? Sometimes not without a fight. How do I get my two-year-old to leave the park? Sometimes, you know, but potty training is not something that we have to navigate because we did it so early. So that's all the information that I have. Get my book, The Audacity, if you want to read it a little bit more or have it to hand, but just whatever works for your family, try to put them on the potty definitely as soon as they wake up and make it a positive experience with a book or a song if they're too young to be interested in books. And when they go, just be like, wow, and reward it with nappy free time because that's far more comfortable. And just try at different times throughout the day to pop them on, see if they'll sit and go, do you need a pee pee? Just make it part of your culture of your home that we pee on the potty. And they will always poo in the morning. Like they just will. My kids have always been on that schedule. And if I sent them to nursery, Unless they were sick, they wouldn't have to poo throughout the day. And if we all did that, I think nurseries could. I don't see why they couldn't be like, all right, everyone, collectively, we've just had a snack and juice. We have like 20 potties lined up 
Everyone sit on the potty and now we're all going to sit on the potty and listen to this story. Like they sit on the carpet and listen to a story. So let's have them all sat on potties and maybe there's a health and safety thing with it. I don't really know. I don't, this is, there are many reasons why I am not asked to work with children, though I am available for bar mitzvahs. Um, and I just think it could be done. It could be done. And I think daycare workers would be far more happy to do that than to change a bunch of nappies, especially shitty nappy of like a three-year-old. And may I also say that I have had some messages from people whose children are navigating special needs. I am not talking, you know, if you have a special circumstance where incontinence is like part of that, I'm not talking about you. I'm not talking about you. Why would I be, why would I be expecting you to potty train a six month old? But I'm not expecting anyone to do it. But if you want to do it, I think your kids want you to do it. Would you like a, tr- a stranger changing your nappy? Would you like to shit yourself at brunch? Friends don't let friends shit themselves at brunch. I will say early doors. Sometimes when they're eating, they'll make a poo face and you're like, Ugh! and you have to stop the brunch. You have to go just, I'll get my mimosa when I return. And then you have to take the child to the potty and then come back and resume eating. That's just what you do. And it's annoying at first, but not for long. Let's get into the rest of the show. Okay, there is a hot docu-series titled House of Kardashian that is available to watch on Sky in the UK, Peacock in America, and was just released on Crave in Canada. And I haven't seen it yet because none of the Kardashians are actually in it, and I don't really feel like I want to hear anything from Ray J. If you are not au fait with the Kardashian empire and the origin story, Kim had a few boyfriends before she was famous, one of whom was singer Brandy. The boy is mine. Uh, Her brother Ray J, who is apparently a hip hop artist. I don't know any of his music. Um, He claims that the infamous sex tape between himself and Kim Kardashian was released as part of a master plan. Kim, as many Kardashian fans know, used to be Paris Hilton's wardrobe assistant, friend, stylist, sort of lackey, and Paris Hilton shot to fame when her sex tape was released. This was a time in feminism that was very weird. It was very curious. The internet was growing as a thing. Girls Gone Wild was a very popular, I think, VHS cassette that you could access. And it is wrought with consent issues now. But basically, Joe Francis, who's the creator of Girls Gone Wild, he and a team of scumbags used to go around with cameras and find drunk young women, usually on spring break. So spring break in America is... Uh, what would we call it? I don't know. We have like several half terms. It's like their half term. And they would be, I guess, hopefully 18 to 22. And they go around Florida and they get really drunk and they would flash the camera. Girls Gone Wild. And it almost became aspirational. When I was growing up as a young woman at that time, I wanted to go to the Playboy Mansion. And I went and I thought it was cool to be one of Hugh Hefner's girlfriends. And I met them and they had a reality show and they were famous. And Paris Hilton had a sex tape. And it was this really strange time with uh, ownership of your body and sexualization of young women. And it was, it was bananas. But luckily most of us didn't have smartphones and our behavior was not immortalized unless you ended up on Girls Gone Wild. And the whole idea was to find like innocent college girls and get them to show their tits and flash their badge and ass. And it was very successful at the time. What I didn't realize is the massive crossover. Okay, 
I knew that the Kardashians hung out with Joe Francis at his resort in Mexico. I knew that watching the Kardashians' early doors. What I didn't realize is that allegedly, Courtney was dating Joe Francis. That was her boyfriend before Scott Disick. She really knows how to pick him. Jiminy uh, Crickets. So she was dating Joe Francis. They saw what happened to Paris Hilton's career and the allegation uh, from Ray J in the documentary House of Kardashians and his business partner, What Business, is that the whole thing was masterminded by Kris Jenner, the momager, Joe Francis, and Ray J and Kim Kardashian were in on it. And everyone brokered this deal, even though when the sex tape was released, obviously it is that funny space of like innocence and oops, you saw me having sex. You know, it's different. I think it had a different cachet than pornography because there's something extra naughty about watching something that you shouldn't be able to see. And we know now that that's very rapey. But at the time, it was like, oh, this sex tape has been released without her permission, without her knowledge. Or even, you know, like, what about sometimes there would be videos where, oh, she didn't even know the cameras were there. Like, that's a fucking crime now. But the late 90s, early 2000s were the wild, wild west for consent. So the sex tape was presumably released without Kim's permission. And she cried and she went, oh, it's just my private videos. And I sort of feel like, I, I hate, look. And then it was revisited in an episode of The Kardashians where Kanye, as sort of a last PR move to seem redeemable, purchased all the original copies of the sex tape from Ray J and showed up and gave them to Kim. And then she cried again. And you know me, I'm very much Team Kardashian. I don't know why. Do they give a shit whether I live or die? Definitely not. Have I told jokes at their expense in the past? Yes, I have. But ultimately, I just love this strong matriarchy. I think Courtney Love called them a Calabasas fertility cult who destroy men or turn them to women. And I love that. But I'm tending to believe the Ray J. Joe Francis story, even though Joe Francis said on the documentary, and I quote, I feel fucking amazing. Women don't have pubic hair now, which is awesome. That's something Girls Gone Wild did. Agree to disagree, Joe Francis. But I mean, I do like not having pubic hair. I've been lasered within an inch of my life, but I'm very fair to begin with. But I like the young people are bringing the bush back. I enjoy that. And women now, this young generation of women know that their bodies are not for decoration and they're not for anyone else's consumption. Their bodies are for themselves. And I fucking love that. But I grew up in a different time. And so when people get mad at me for things that I say or times that I'm honest about my experience as a young woman, my option is to either tell you what it was like or lie to you. And these are my influences, whether I like it or not. And they have contributed to who I am today. I worked at Hooters. I went to the Playboy Mansion. I decided that it would be better to be pretty than interesting. And guess what? I was wrong. But because of that, I'm still a little bit pretty. Okay. Over the holiday season, <laughs> I got into novelty cocktails. And it's a shame because I can't actually drink them. I can't drink anymore. I truly cannot. You remember a couple episodes ago when I went a little bit too hard at a Christmas market. I had five drinks and food and a long walk over the course of an entire night. I know by British standards, five drinks is, you know, just a pub lunch. But for me, like I was very sick for pretty much a week. 
And I love the idea of having a gingerbread white Russian or, oh, what else was I making? A lovely cranberry infused gin and tonic with some rosemary sprigs. Like I was making so many holiday novelty cocktails and I was just serving them to other people and not able to enjoy them myself. And that makes me sad because drinking is one of the great joys of my life. And I always really mastered it. But um, yeah, I just don't drink anymore. I don't. And when I was young, I loved it. I loved to go out to a lunch meeting and have a couple of white wines and then wrap it up like 2 p.m. And I would never be messy drunk. And I'm so lucky. And I encourage you to drink responsibly because alcoholism or addiction to drugs or any any other substance like that that alters your pure enjoyment of life is a really, really terrible tragedy. And if you're young and you're not really in that world yet, or I mean, I think alcoholism can spark at any age, really. Actually, I read somewhere that it's more common in older men just to start out of nowhere. I I don't know, they have empty nest syndrome or they retire, they just get bored. I don't really know, but it's very sad, very sad. And it steals lives and it destroys relationships and is no joke. So I mean it when I ask you to drink responsibly. It's so important. But also you embarrass yourself when you're wasted. It's, you know, it's ugly. Being messy is absolutely not ladylike or gentlemanly. But I nailed it, guys. For about a decade, I nailed it where I was just a little bit tipsy here and there. Never lost my purse. Never texted anyone. Never rang up a booty call. Not even once. I was always good. But now those days are gone. I drink and I feel sick. But Violet uh, suggested that Bobby and I watch a film called Saltburn, which is huge with the young people. And I love that I sort of know Emerald Fennell. We have mutual friends and I can flex with my daughter and my niece who's visiting this week, Lily. I can go, yeah, yeah, Emerald Fennell. That's actually my very close personal friend. And I can recommend Dolly Alderton to the girls and other works of Emerald Fennell. And I just love it. I love being like, yeah, yeah, if you loved that, you're going to love Promising Young Woman. You know she's the pregnant Barbie in the Barbie movie. And uh, I love that the girls are drawn to this film. So Violet said, you have to watch Saltburn. You have to watch it. And I thought, okay. Now, it's a slow, slow burn because Bobby and I only get 30 minutes to ourselves every evening. It's taking us several evenings to even begin to get through it. But I'm loving every scene. So far, no spoilers because I haven't watched it enough. So far... It is set at the very beautiful either Cambridge or Oxford University, I forget. But a setting like this is absolutely unimaginable to a scum working class Canadian like me until I see it in stage and screen. And there are people who feel like it's posh nonsense and they just can't relate to it. And other people argue that it's very clever satire, actually, and it's fun to to indulge in these rich lifestyles. So there's a boy called Felix, and he appears to be a very talented British actor that I've never seen before. He's tall, he's lean, he comes from wealth. Now you think you know rich American or Canadian people, you don't. We're all new money, some of us have a speedboat. But there is British wealth, like ancestral wealth in this country that is unfathomable where I come from, where people have property portfolios, they live in castles. This is where the term working class comes from because there is a echelon of a person in this country that has never had to work. They just live off their family estate and they have minions like one of my good friends who does the accounting and who makes the uh, suggestions for how this money is invested and they live off the fruits of you know, uh, slavery and property 
old, 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 old money. So this Felix hot young boy who goes to this fancy school, he's from that kind of money and he befriends this kind of nerd boy who's an Irish actor who is in something, but he's doing sort of a Northern accent. I think he's from Preston in this film. And I, I don't really understand why they're friends yet, but I will. I think so far he just, he, he doesn't like hanging out with a bunch of poshos and he likes having this down to earth, like real friend. And he invites this friend whose father has just died of alcoholism, the aforementioned demon that is alcoholism. And he goes, no, come back to my family manor for the holidays. You'll love it. It's beautiful. There's room for there. And he comes back to Saltburn, which is like an absolute castle with millions of rooms. And these posh people kind of remind me of my friend Emily Dean's family. Emily Dean is a wonderful podcaster. She has a podcast called Walking the Dog with Emily Dean and her adorable Shih Tzu Ray. She hosts a radio show with Frank Skinner, and she has a wonderful book called Everybody Died, So I Got a Dog, and it's about navigating grief. And Emily is just one of the naturally funniest most wonderful people that I've ever met in my life. She has a posh artist family and the way she talks about her family kind of reminds me of how the posh family is represented in this film. The mother expertly played by Rosamund Pike is so funny. And basically they, they just get into this posh world and that that's as far as we've got. But the last scene that we saw uh, uh, I mean, the sinister nature of this poor boy, he's sort of been adopted by the rich boy, is coming to the surface because he finds, he's sort of, they're sharing a bathroom in this massive castle. And he walks down the corridor through the wardrobe like Narnia, and he looks into the bathroom, and the hot boy is, who I think is going to be gay by the end of the, I don't really know what's going on with him. He bangs loads of women, but he's got some special interest in this poor boy. He sort of, he sort of adopts pets every summer, it feels like, but you know more to come. He's in the bathtub jerking off. And that makes me very uncomfortable to watch. You know, this is who brokered this jerk off scene, Ray J and Joe Francis. He's jerking off in the bathtub. And then it cuts to a scene where he's finished his bath and the water's draining and both boys are brushing their teeth after the one boy, unbeknownst to the posh one, the poor boy has been like sinister, like peeking and watching him jerk off in the bath. So the posh boy finishes brushing his teeth and retires to his quarters. And the rich boy, with just a few drops left in the bath, puts his face at the bottom of the tub and drinks the, like, cum bath water. Puts his face in it and tries to, like, slurp it up. Because obviously he is in love in whatever way, absolutely infatuated by this rich boy. I thought at first just wanted to be him, but now feels like... He's definitely not well and wants to some overtake this entire family in some way, both sexually and literally. I don't really know what's going on. But the, a TikTok user has crafted a signature cocktail based on this bathwater in Saltburn with nothing more than a lychee martini, gin, and a little bit of coconut milk. You too can live very Keon. Oh, my dad's going to flip out that I don't know how to pronounce this Irish surname. K-E-O-G-H-A-N. How would you say that? Cone? Yeah, it's co- it's got to be cone, like own. Barry Cone's fantasy, that's the poor boy in the film, of drinking the ejaculate-infused bathwater. And it also comes as a candle. What the fuck? This TikToker is really smart, actually, because kids are loving Saltburn. If Violet likes it and her cousin likes it, then, you know, it is transcended culture. Congratulations, Emerald Twinell. The kids are loving it. I love it so far. But do I love it enough to get into 
my kitchen and be like, I'm going to make a signature cocktail based on what? Christmas? No, the ejaculate bathwater of Jacob Elordi, who plays this hot, you know, posh Felix. Whatever floats your boat. I, I feel like Saltburn is going to be a gay anthem for years to come. The cocktail itself, I mean, I like a lychee martini. I like gin, coconut milk, though. I mean, look, I was drinking cocktails that were like come in a bucket and sex on a beach. I think come in a bucket. Did I imagine that? I'm sure we had. Let's see. Come in a bucket is what cocktail? No, I'm just, no, just porn videos are coming up now. It is a cocktail. Yeah. Oh, come shot. That's it. Where'd I get the bucket? Okay, it's a delicious, fiery combination of rum cream and fireball whiskey. There's also a cocktail called Monkey's Come in a Bucket. There you go. That's the one. <laughs> Come shot definitely is what I was thinking of. Or if you want to drink Monkey's Come in a Bucket, it is three teaspoons of bitters, a little bit of coconut cream, one can of Pepsi Cola, one bottle Everclear grain alcohol, and two shots of maple syrup. First, get a jug. Then you dump the bottle of alcohol in a jug. Then you add the beef bouillon. Where'd that come from? And let it sit for an hour with the maple syrup and the bitters. When having sat for at least an hour, mix with the Coke and coconut cream. This is the worst sounding drink, but it tastes better than anything you've ever had. No, thank you. Monkeys come in buckets. What is your most delicious signature cocktail? Because I feel like this is a tradition that I'm... Oh, and there's also a cum dumpster. That's a nice cocktail in my nickname in college. So, okay, lemonade and rum. Why is that come dumpster? Add half an ounce of lemonade to a shot glass. Using a paper towel on top of the glass as a filter, add Captain Morgan's Parrot Bay dropwise until full. Before drinking, fill the mouth with whipped cream. Enjoy. Ugh. Listen, let's just have a sophisticated white tequila and soda with a slice of lime. We don't need to be recreating drinking any... If you want to drink ejaculate, just be a man and suck a dick. Another huge story of the week, Gypsy Rose Blanchard got sprung on December 28th after serving out seven years behind bars for her role in the second-degree murder of her mom, Claudine D.D. Blanchard, who'd been suffering from Munchausen syndrome by proxy, a disease where a caregiver seeks sympathy for caring for someone by making up illnesses, in this case cancer, for their otherwise completely healthy children. She wasted no time blowing up her socials, posting a first selfie of freedom to her 4.7 million Instagram followers and plugging her upcoming docuseries and audiobook to 1.7 million TikTok followers. There is no right or wrong way to get famous. I know about Gypsy Rose because there have been already like many thought pieces and articles, and I'm sure documentaries about what happened to this little girl. And I actually think that Munchausen's by proxy is far more common than we even know. I have known in my life people whose children are just oddly sick with no discernible illness, and their parents don't seem that well, and they do kind of have this personality of like, oh, everything goes wrong for me. What am I going to do? Oh, yes, my daughter is very ill with this mystery thing. My daughter can't make it. And it's awkward for us because my daughter might misbehave. I'm like, I don't want to get into specifics because, you know, 
look, people love their children. Sometimes people are hypochondriacs about their children. Munchausen's is definitely a different thing. So I'm sure you've heard of this. Munchausen's, uh, you might have seen it on House, starring the formidable Hugh Laurie, where people manifest an illness in themselves to get attention. So they go in with a variety of symptoms or they make themselves sick on purpose to get medical attention and to get just sympathy from the outside world. Munchausen's by proxy is when you do it, but you make your child sick. Another reference point is Misha Barton's little girl character in The Sixth Sense, when this girl ghost tries to show video cassettes to the boy who can see dead people to, to show that her mother was putting poison in her cereal and making her sick. And it's just, it's such a terrible, terrible tragedy when this happens. In the Gypsy Rose case, she was in a wheelchair. She allegedly was suffering from a bunch of different illnesses, including cancer. What's like, all right, when you're going around saying your child has cancer and they don't, then that's a whole new level of sickness. And this Gypsy Rose felt trapped, according to her, and confined to her mother's disease. Her mother was getting attention from, you know, oh, my Gypsy Rose, my Gypsy Rose is not well. And then when Gypsy Rose became old enough, she met a boy, presumably online, and they conspired to kill her mother. I think the boyfriend was the one who actually killed the mom. But they argued it was self-defense because Gypsy Rose needed to break free from this cycle of abuse. And I mean, look, I don't ever think killing your mom or anyone else is appropriate, but I understand. Like if someone's keeping you essentially very uncomfortable, really sick, under lock and key, telling the world that you have cancer and you live your whole life with that madness, you're going to want to do whatever you can to get out. And what else, you know, was she supposed to do? I suppose as an adult, you can walk away and you can go, look. I don't have cancer. My mom was keeping me sick, but this is the reason why she went to prison for seven years. Is the world ready for the first breakout Munchausen by proxy survivor liberty in the form of Gypsy Rose Blanchard? What's next for her? Will we see her on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here? Will she enter the Big Brother house, which is not so different from being a prisoner of Munchausen by proxy? Will that be triggering for her? Would she even pass? the rigorous mental health screenings that you need to pass to be accepted on a program like that. Uh, The world loves reality now. They love a drama. Social media is fueling the new celebrity machine. And she's already got almost 5 million followers. People want to see her first out-of-jail selfie. It's already memed across the world, her toasting a champagne glass on New Year's Eve. And it's like, When you killed your mom and only did seven years, like, it's a bit dark, isn't it? There are criminal divas out there already. There's Casey Anthony, who, I mean, that story, if you don't know it, don't look it up. There's Amanda Knox is another famous celeb who was, I guess, wrongfully convicted of having a role in her flatmate's murder. And Amanda Knox, I mean, she's appeared on podcasts of my friends, And she appears to be innocent, but there are some people who don't think that she is. She is a bona fide celeb. And now Gypsy Rose Blanchard, someone who was convicted and is now out. Did she serve her time? Are you on her side? Do you feel like she should have gone to prison at all? Because there was also a young woman in America who killed her captor, who was sexually assaulting her and holding her hostage. And she went to jail. And I don't believe that she should have. And then she was released after a few years. I don't know if she was exonerated or someone fought to get her out. I'll check.
Piper Lewis, an Iowa teen who killed her rapist, escaped from her probation center. Well, that's not great. She killed her rapist and escaped. She was 15. She was a 15-year-old sex trafficking victim at the time that she stabbed her abuser. And she could face 20 years in prison if her sentence is reimposed. And this was only a year ago. Uh-oh. Did they ever find her? So this is an article by Holly Baxter in The Independent. Few cases shine a light on systemic failures to protect vulnerable people in the U.S. more than that of Piper Lewis. The 18-year-old will face a probation violation hearing this week after walking out of a women's residential facility and cutting off her electronic ankle tag. Her attorneys are still seeking to delay her sentencing while they seek an updated psychological evaluation to present to the judge. Lewis's is a sad tale of compounded abuse. She entered the foster care system as a baby, was adopted at the age of three, ran away at 15 because life with her adoptive parents had become volatile and abusive. She ended up being sex trafficked by a man she met while she was on the street. He would ply her with alcohol, take her to meet associates. One of those men... Uh, she woke up during an assault, grabbed the knife off his nightstand and stabbed him to death. Okay, so who should pay the price for those crimes? A crime was committed against whom? I feel like the state of Iowa should be on trial for that. What state of Iowa allows all these things to happen to a baby, to a young girl, to be failed by the system so many times that you've created a murderer, essentially, though... I won't use the term murder with her. I think she acted in self-defense. What is she doing in a woman's... But I mean, like, what can they do, really, if she is not well? Is an ankle tag going to heal her trauma? Is a rehabilitation center that's also sort of a prison the right place for someone like that? Back to Gypsy Rose Blanchard. I don't know where the little girl is now whose mother I believed might... You know, and I'm not an expert to diagnose anyone, but I definitely... (laughs) think that her mother had some form of Munchausen's by proxy where this mother was not well anyway and then was like oh she's sick she's sick with this she's sick with that and even at the time I was very young and I thought what this is not real I don't know where that little girl is do you know anyone in your life who does this who you think might have and again we are not qualified to officially diagnose these people but do you have any experience with either Munchausen's or Munchausen's by proxy syndrome in your life and it's a tricky one Because I think when a lot of people say they're sick or their child's sick, they do have to advocate really hard because things go overlooked and undiagnosed, especially with the current state of the system. But let me know. In very lovely New Year's news, Sienna Miller, who is 41 or 42, has just given birth to a very healthy baby girl, and the dad is 27. Oh, such a scandal. An older woman dating a younger man. How how can that be? What hex has she bewitched upon him to make him want to be with such a hag? Well, number one, it's Sienna Miller, and she has the type of energy and lifestyle that I don't really feel would suit a 60-year-old, maybe a man her own age, but like a lot of them are navigating divorce at the minute. You either want to get them (laughs) post-divorce or young. And I always say I don't like men dating 18, 19-year-old girls, especially when they make a habit of it, when a very powerful, wealthy, like 50-year-old man who's lived his entire life has a pattern of dating 19-year-old girls. But a 26, 27-year-old man with a woman like 12 years older, 
that is fine with me. Similarly, a 26, 27 year old woman with a 40 year old man, I wouldn't have a huge issue with. People are questioning like, oh, well, how, how did you have the baby? Did you have to have IVF? Like these, these are the questions they like heaped on a 40 year old woman if she is able to reproduce. And I don't know this baby's name yet, but I am excited because Sienna Miller already has a daughter called Marlo. And I love that Marlo with an E on the end. What a tasteful name. I don't know, really know a lot about Ollie Green and his Instagram is very like sparse, which I respect. I feel like that's a turn on, but he appears to be like from money and he's the son of a galleryist. And I don't think you see a lot of like working class galleryists. I don't know any of this for a fact, but it feels to me like a very posh job. Go into like, you know, inner city, like Tower Hamlets, London and be like, well, actually, that's quite a posh neighborhood now. But anyway, like I'd never heard of a galleryist until I moved here and started to run in these circles. But anyway, he's sort of a model actor, but like not doesn't seem to be, you know, really hitting the pavement with that. <laughs> and they met at an event and they seem to be, you know, like minded. They run in similar circles and they seem to be very madly in love. And Sienna Miller was asked about this baby and she said it was a surprise. It just happened out of the blue. Yes, I conceived naturally and I would love to get a place in my life where I don't have to joke about the age difference between my partner and me. And here's what a lot of people don't know about fertility is that first of all, you can absolutely conceive naturally at 40 years old. I conceived Fena naturally at 39. I have a girlfriend who conceived naturally at 46. And if you don't conceive naturally and you use donor eggs or IVF or whatever else, it's your business. It doesn't make your family any less your family. You do whatever you need to do. But men never take responsibility for their role in fertility. And what people don't talk about is that sperm quality and motility also decreases with age. So as much as you will see like an elderly billionaire having his 11th child with a 20-year-old woman, an older woman has a higher chance of conceiving naturally with younger sperm. That's why donor sperm is young. And if you have a young partner then his sperm will have less like DNA damage from just age and smoking and life. And his sperm will have higher motility under a microscope. An old man's sperm just kind of like bumbles around like he does. Like, oh, I don't know. I don't really know if I have the energy to go there. Oh, I might just watch the game. Oh, I'm going to go to bed early. You know, and that, there's nothing wrong with sperm like that. I am a sperm like that now. <laughs> but a young man's sperm is gonna, you know, the son of a galleryist actor model sperm is bouncing around. He's trying to, you know, network. He's making connections. He's schmoozing around in Sienna Miller's fallopian tubes. You know, he's busy. It's busy sperm. And so we always talk about, well, if you're with a young woman, then you can have more babies. Well, similarly, ladies, if you're struggling to conceive with your like elderly husband, it's not your fault. If he was 27, his sperm would be at it stronger, harder, faster, with more success. Eggs go through damage as you get older and you're exposed to different free radicals and everything else, and so do sperm, just to let you know. That's a very cheerful final thought for you as we go in to a little break now to listen to the adverts from our wonderful sponsors. If you ever want to write me a letter, it's telling everybody everything at gmail.com. You can follow me on my socials. I pretty much only use Instagram and that is at Kath Bum. I'll be right back. 
mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Listeners are always looking out for each other, which I really appreciate. And last week, a young woman wrote in about her dad who was basically allergic to everything. He couldn't sleep unless he had a certain number of carbs. And if he ate anything on a list as long as my arm, then he was in big trouble. Um, People suggested everything from hypothyroid to an intense version of that, Hashimoto's. These feel like things he might have been checked for, but not this. Catherine, I love the pod. When I heard you reading the letter about the listener's dad being bedridden after eating most foods, I had to pull over an email. My dad had a very similar problem for five years and was taken to hospital by ambulance many times if he ate or drank anything with fruit, veg, caffeine, spice, dairy, etc. in it. The doctors initially suggested it was an autoimmune response after he'd been hospitalized exactly one year earlier with E. coli. Apparently, it's very common to develop severe intolerances after this. For five years, though, they couldn't give the condition a name or suggest anything that would help except eating an extremely plain diet. Then, when we were all used to these dietary requirements, my dad was told he needed his gallbladder removed for a separate issue. The doctors suggested it might actually help his symptoms, though, as many people with similar intolerances found post-surgery they were able to eat normally again. And it worked. He still avoids very hot, spicy food, but other than that, he can eat anything. He said his first chocolate bar post-surgery was the best thing he'd ever tasted. Anyway, sorry it doesn't seem this condition has been researched enough, but this listener's dad has the means. If he does, please have his gallbladder removed privately. <laughs> he might have some relief. I don't know. I don't know if you can judge. It really sounds quite organ trafficking to be like, Look, I have no basis for this. I don't know if it's going to work, but can you please privately remove my gallbladder? I mean, it is annoying. They, there's so much they haven't researched, but maybe he could appeal to a doctor to do this. I don't, I don't know any private, like my Botox girl is not going to just remove a gallbladder. The logistics of this, I will say, I think are tough. But if he can do it, if he can convince someone, maybe there are tests that could confirm to an NHS surgeon that he needs to have his gallbladder removed. Because the last thing he wants to do is have all these intolerances and remove it, and then just have all these intolerances plus no gallbladder. I think most of our dads need their gallbladders removed at some stage. Well, good luck. I mean, this sounds very promising. It sounds like your dad has such similar things. So thank you so much for safely pulling over and not writing me that email on the go. Listener from before, please write us back after your dad has had his gallbladder removed on the black market and let us know if he's better. New emails, Catherine, living in my mother-in-law's home. Is divorce my only way out? 
I listen to your show religiously. I feel like I know your answer here, but I would love to hear it. I've been married for almost 10 years. We have three children, five and two-year-old twins. Oh, well, let me stop you there. You are living in a temporary hell of your own making, wherever you are. And the last place that I would want to be is in someone else's home during renovations or whatever. Especially, like I like my mother-in-law, but some of them are tricky. Five-year-old and two-year-old twins. We are living in my husband's childhood home with my mother-in-law. We were renting for a few years, but COVID and all the littles made it seem like a good idea to move back. I've decided it's not working for me. Of course not. My mother-in-law doesn't speak to me anymore at all. The last thing she said to me months ago was yelling that I shouldn't live there in front of my kids. My older daughter immediately started questioning where we were going to live. My problem is that my husband is adamant he won't live anywhere else. He's a good dad and he admits that her behavior is wrong, but he won't even discuss making a change. Is divorce my only option? Oh my gosh. So I'm assuming then that uh, maybe, oh, well, none of you are getting along and that's because you live with three kids under five. And I'm sure your five-year-old daughter is actually great because a five-year-old girl can be, you know, awesome. Like Violet was like a 21-year-old at that age. So she's probably very helpful. And the poor thing is probably very stressed. It is really inappropriate for her grandmother to be like, you shouldn't even be living here. And for this five-year-old to be navigating like housing anxiety, she should know that she's welcome and cared for and safe where she is. And I think maybe I would start there with my husband. I'd be like, I think your husband might have some financial insecurity that he is maybe, and this is just a shot in the dark because I don't know him, but my initial reaction is he's shutting this conversation down so harshly. I'm sure he doesn't enjoy living with his mother-in-law who's not speaking to his wife. Like this is why polygamy doesn't work. If you watch that show, Sister Wives, the guy, Cody, the, who has all the wives, he's miserable because he's trying to keep all these different women in his life happy. And they're comparing constantly, like what Hoover they have and how much time they spend with him. And he's in a nightmare. Polygamy sounds great until you have to manage all these women's feelings. And your husband probably does not love living with his wife and mother-in-law. And it sounds to me like in a lot of traditional relationships, maybe in this one, maybe you're not working as much. You have these small children. Default, maybe you're looking after them a lot. And your husband's like, I can't afford to be anywhere else. This is the situation that I have to have. And I don't want to confront why that is because it makes me feel shameful because of toxic masculinity. Maybe, I don't know. But I think that you definitely need to have communication in your marriage, whatever the subject, be that where you live or what your children are going through or how you're feeling. Like a husband who shuts you down, I mean, I wouldn't tolerate it. Bobby and I aren't perfect, but there's no... There's no stonewalling in our relationship. And if I felt strongly about something, he would never shut me down. He, I mean, good luck to him. I know all of the back roads of this house, I would find him and jam it down his throat. I am very good at articulating myself, but I'm also not aggressive. And I think sometimes it sucks, but these men have to be treated like children. Sorry, men, if you get upset about that. But like, what? The reality is... You get more bees with honey, and sometimes you have to communicate with different people in different ways, which is sometimes feels pathetic, but it's it gets you the best result, and the result in the end of the day is all you care about. So I feel like I would approach him in a very non-threatening way so that he doesn't get defensive and shut down and just be like, 
I understand that we all have frustrations about different things and that living here is the solution for you right now. But I would really appreciate if you could hear me how frustrated the children and I feel and trapped by your mother's behavior and unwelcome because of your mother's behavior and the anxiety that it's starting to give our five-year-old and the tension, the thick, looming tension that our children are learning to normalize living in a house where there are people who aren't even speaking. Like that's very toxic. And what is it going to do in the future? I think I would start there. It'd be like, what kind of relationships do you think our children are going to choose when they're normalizing just like hostility, like quiet hostility of us not speaking, it's not working. And I don't know, oh, it sucks because you're so stuck if you are a homemaker looking after these small kids, which I don't know if you are, but you know, with these many small kids, they're not even in school, one of them's in school, like what are you supposed to do? Uh, I guess if you divorce him at some point, you will have a legal arrangement where he'll have to give you money. If you can afford to do so on your own, I'd be very gently like, I am going to stay somewhere else with the children half the week or the week. And then on the weekends, they can come here and stay with you and your mother because your new wife is your mother and it's not me because my husband would prioritize my mental well-being and it isn't here. It sucks. You know, divorce is a big word, especially now that I'm in a marriage. I used to be like, divorce him, leave him. And... I think it's it's very difficult to put that into practice, especially when you love someone. It's like, what would you do in this scenario? Like, I would try to find a happy medium where I lived somewhere else with my children throughout the week, and then they went back, but I didn't at weekends. But certainly don't leave without them. Jeez, let me know how it turns out. Or if anyone else has any advice. Give me more information about your financial situation, I think. Because I've made a lot of like assumptions and generalizations, and I hope those weren't wrong. Friends with benefits. Catherine, I have two small children, two and four. Their dad and I broke up in December 20, 2022 after 12 years. Children will do that. It's all good. We're amicable. We have a great, friendly relationship now. That's great. I met a guy on an app one year ago exactly. We hit it off immediately. I explained that I didn't want anything serious because I didn't want to have anyone in my children's lives after my own crappy experiences with stepdads. He had a brain injury after being hit by a car when he was a teenager, which he said left him with some difficulties forming relationships. He also comes from a strict religious background, though he is an atheist, and his family wouldn't approve of me. Why? Because you're divorced. Since January, this man and I have spoken on WhatsApp every single day. We've agreed not to see other people. We know everything about each other's lives, and to me, he feels like a best friend. We meet up once a week. We go out and eat and drink. We have the best sex we both ever had in our lives. I stay over at his house regularly, and sometimes he asks me to stay even when we're not going to have sex. It's been a year. It's genuinely been one of the best years of my life, so what's the problem? My stupid feelings are the problem. I don't want anything to change right now, but I can't help but worry about how this is going to eventually end. Whenever I tentatively say I'm starting to feel closer to him, he makes it clear that he doesn't want anything serious. I genuinely appreciate his honesty, but what's the problem? Is he scared of commitment or just not that into me? He usually initiates the daily messaging, so he must enjoy chatting with me. He, oh, oh, oh God. He sometimes mentions a future wife. So why isn't he considering me for that? Is it really a religious issue, even though he's an atheist? Do I end this now because I may eventually get hurt when he decides that he's ready for his future wife? 
I would be devastated? Or do I stick around and continue to enjoy this and just try not to worry about the future and hope he develops feelings for me? So many women do this. They date for potential and they sit there and they go, I hope he chooses me. I hope he, what maybe one day he'll realize that I could be his future wife. And it's like, who is he to have that power? Like, what is, what is it about him that's making you choose him? Nothing. Materially, nothing. He's insulting because he talks about a future wife. I mean, you have enough respect for your current arrangement not to talk about a future husband with him. You say you're feeling closer to him and he's rejecting you. He's being like, no, you know what I mean by rejecting. He wants to be with you now. Of course, he initiates conversation, but he's putting a boundary up and going, no, I don't want it to change. No, this is what it is. Here are the reasons why this will never be different. Believe him when he says that to you. And I can't have sex with someone without developing feelings for them either. And of course, you're talking to him all the time. This has been a year. Like, you're not crazy for having feelings for him. Like, this is a relationship. It's not different to any other relationship except there's this cap on it where he's like, but it will never progress and I'm going to have a future wife. Why would you want a future with someone who says that to you? I feel like you need to keep this going because it makes you happy and you love it. But you need to either through therapy or just pure like self-determination, tell yourself, like develop a mantra, write it down and stick it to your fridge or somewhere that you look at every day. Like, this is for now. This man is not good enough for my children. This man is not good enough for my future. This is just for now. He is a toy. He is a distraction. He is fun for now. You know what I mean? Get it in your mind that this man has the lifespan of a hamster and you're going to enjoy him for now and you will grieve when it's over, but hopefully less so because you know that it's going to be over. This man won't change his mind. And if he does, like, fuck him anyway, because he'll just be settling. Because what he doesn't want is to deal with the complexity of, like, making a future with you and justifying that to his family. And he'll always have some shame with his family about your divorce and da 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 Like, believe a man when he tells you what he wants from you. And all this man wants is you right now. And if you can... I would start, I would say, let's keep doing, uh, it's devastating, it's hard to do, but I'd be like, fine, let's keep doing this now, but I'm going to start seeing other people. Don't do it behind his back, but be like, I'm going to start seeing other people. I know you don't want to do that because you don't want to see other people and you don't want him to see other people. But like this business that women do all the time of like, will he want me? Will he choose me? Like you are enough as you are. And if what you want in the future, maybe not now, but then, if you want someone to be your husband in the future and to see you as his future wife, then that is available to you. And you will love someone more than you love this man one day. But keep him around for now. Just use him. Get what you can from him. Start getting him to pay for like nursery and shit. Be like, yeah, fine. Yeah, right now. Yeah, whatever. And then just because he has no problem. This is the thing. I'm always like, oh, my personal standard is this. And I don't want to be bad. And I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. He's not worried about hurting your feelings. And I have to have these same chats with myself. Do they work? No. But like incrementally, maybe a little bit. Hurt a man's feelings. 34 years old and last woman in the immediate and extended family. Catherine, I'm a strong, independent, sassy woman who's fortunate enough to have a great career, my own house, and a loving partner. 
However, I've recently felt very lost without any female role models having become the only woman in my family. What happened to the rest of them? I was fortunate enough to grow amongst multi-generations of amazing women, from my mom to my great-grandmothers. Over the last few years, we've had a lot of loss, culminating in the desperately sad passing of my aunt, who's only 42, and my mom was only 60, after aggressive battles with cancer. In a cruel twist of irony, my partner also lost his mom. My mom was my best friend, beautiful, outgoing, athletic, and always by my side. Losing her especially has been hard. Well, yeah. So that just leaves me, the last woman standing. The men in my very small family are great. They've all stepped up when we look out for each other, but I crave that female energy, a matriarchal figure whom I can turn to for advice. I have female friends, some older, but none who have that depth of experience, love, and advice you can find in older women. What might your advice be? Is there another version of Tinder for times like these? Because <laughs> she's only 34. Well, guess what? That woman is you. You have to find her within yourself. You have to find her from the ancestral guardians who still exist in your universe. Your mother is still with you and your grandmother and your aunt and the successes and the evolutions and the life experiences that you have in your life now, you are carrying them with you. And they'll still be around to guide you, just not in the same way. And they will always have influence in your life. You just have to listen for them and be mindful of their presence. But you have an extra responsibility now to live out their legacy here in the world and to do amazing things and to keep being happy and to keep radiating all of those wonderful things that they had. They have to do that through you now. And every exciting trip that you go on or wonderful event that you and your partner have they will experience that too. And when wild things happen politically or on the news or whatever the hell is coming for us next, your female ancestors will be with you for that too. When like the new phone comes out, your great grandma will be like, holy shit, what? You know, like I believe that my ancestors are with me and you can heal traumas that they had still in your life and you can influence not only what the next generations of your family will do but what the past ones didn't resolve you know so i would look at it. i would look into a lot of indigenous literature like that and then join a knitting group maybe or like go visit a care home on a sunday like you can find old people they're everywhere like go sit near some ducks they'll be there they'll be there Go find like a red hat society. <laughs> I think in Highgate, London, they have like a ladies red hat society that my friend Jen was part of and she was like the youngest one. There are old ladies everywhere. Ladies listening to the podcast, old and young. If you know, this sounds like a very specific like kink, but if you know where amazing, scholarly, interesting, exciting, older ladies hang out, please find them for me. Tell me where they are. Tell me where we can find them. I would love to do a thing. I've thought about this for many years. I'm copying Julie Klausner, who did it on her podcast years ago. Uh, what's it called? Just Julie Klausner. Look it up. Oh, that's annoying. What was her podcast called? I loved it. But she would interview an older woman. And she got just so much wisdom from that. And I wish, you know, if I could explain a podcast to a very old woman and interview her, like they have so much to teach us. So I hope this works out okay for you. I'm sorry that everybody died. Treasure your life and definitely routinely get screened for cancer. Hate to end it on that note, but yeah. 
I went to this company called Echelon, and they do like routine screening, mostly I think for heart things, but for everything really. And I still have an MRI outstanding that I need to complete. Stay on top of that, my gal. Thank you so much for listening. If you ever want to write me a letter, it's telling everybody everything at gmail.com. And I'll see you next week. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com